And we're going to just go quickly through this passage. And I mentioned it this morning. It's one of the most famous passages in the Bible. And it's where they make the golden calf. I have to say a few things uh, about this. How in the world could these people, after seeing everything that God has done, and how could Aaron, after doing all the things that he did, how could he make an idol to worship? Well, I really don't have to look very far. Because I can say, how can I, who have got eternal life from Jesus Christ, who have got spiritual gifts, the Word of God, all kind of friends, every blessing that I could ever name, how could I openly disobey my Savior? I do it every day. Do you? We say, what is wrong with us? Well, uh, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's part of what's wrong with us. And so we want to see in this passage what the nation of Israel does, and we see the intercession of Moses. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus 32. We're continuing our study. We're seeing this great book, and it's the deliverance of God's people. We're seeing deliverance of God's people from Egypt. They've come to Mount Sinai, where God is giving them the law, setting them apart. And now, in this passage this evening, I've got this evening, we're going to see a famous passage from the Old Testament, the golden calf incident and the failure of the people. Moses is going to the top of the mountain. Now, we're going to, I'll remind all this to you, but they get there, and uh, they're doing all these things, and then Moses uh, goes up on the mountain, and while he's up on the mountain, he's getting all these instructions about the tabernacle and how to build it and all the different things they're going to do. And while he's gone, the people say, what happened to him? I don't know if he's coming back. And so while he's on top of the mountain, this is what they do. We see their failure. They make an idol. As we look at this section, there's a number of things that we can apply. First of all, I want you to look at this. That we're capable, that we're all capable of sin. You'll hear me say this over and over. If you think that you're not capable of certain sins, you've just opened the doors to yourself. I don't trust me. Do you trust me? I don't trust you. Do you trust you? I don't trust either one of us. We're all capable of any sin. You put us in the wrong place at the wrong time. We will do the wrong thing. That's just the way it is. Second, we see Moses' intercession for the people. And we think about Christ's intercession for us. God tricks us in this passage. And I'll show you what I mean when I get there. God acts like he's going to do something that he would never do. And I'll show it to you in a minute. And we're going to see how Moses intercedes. And we think about how Christ intercedes for us. And then last but not least, we see God's grace and discipline. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also what? Reap. If he sows of the flesh, he reaps of the flesh what? Corruption, you sow the, of the Spirit, you reap of the Spirit, eternal life. There's a lot there. A number of years ago, an American plane had an emergency landing in China. It's been a number of years. They were holding the, they were holding the crew. Finally, they got released. The United States sent some mediators over there to deal with the Chinese government. And this go-between, these people who were go-betweens for the crew in the United States... These mediators were able to get the people released. Mediators are important sometimes to stand in the gap. Do you realize how important it is to have a mediator in our lives? We have a mediator. It's Jesus Christ, the God man. There is one God and one, there is one God and one man, uh, one God and man, the man Jesus Christ. He's the mediator between God and man. Let me just show you something. We have a mediator in two ways. First of all, for salvation. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but God is perfect. We need a mediator. If God's perfect and we sin, something's got to be the go-between. 
The go-between is Jesus Christ. And then in our daily lives, we need a mediator. Why? Because we sin. In fact, in, in, in John, uh, it's supposed to be First John 2, 1, I think. It says, if we, uh, uh, we, we, he says, my little children, I don't want you to sin. But if you sin, you got an advocate. Okay? It's supposed to be First John 2, 1. I'm sorry, I didn't get typed up there right. We, we, we thank God for our mediator, Jesus Christ. Now, this evening we're going to see in the passage, failure of the people and Moses is the mediator. He intercedes on the behalf of the nation of Israel. We thank God for our mediator, Jesus Christ. Well, let's see what happens. This evening is a famous passage. The failure and the sin of the nation. They make the golden calf to be their God. And, and, and we'll see what happens. And by the way, they didn't say, we're just going to make this idol. They said, this is the God that brought us from Egypt. We'll talk more about that. The nation's been delivered, powerful. Uh, God has provided for two million people in the desert, in the wilderness. They've come to Mount Sinai. They're getting the law. Moses has gone up on top of the mountain. What happens? Let me give you the passage, uh, the breakdown of the passage. First of all, we see the failure of the people. They made the golden calf. That's chapter 32, verses 1 through 6. And then we see God's response and Moses' intercession. Now, God says some things that I want you to I'm going to say this to you. God said some things that he was going to do that he would not do. That he couldn't do. And we said, what? I'll show you in a minute. Because God's just testing Moses. And we'll see it in just a second. The third thing is that Moses confronts the people and Aaron. That had to be a hard thing, especially confronting your older brother Aaron after what he's, what they've all been through together. And then last but not least, God's grace and discipline. And we'll see that as we go through. In Exodus 24, I want to read this to you because this is sort of before... This happens in Exodus 24, in verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, come up with me on the mountain and remain there. I will give you the stone tablets and the law and the commandments that I have written. So Moses arose with Joshua and went up on top of the mountain. It goes on to say in verse 18, Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time, by the way, right? He's gone. And 40 days and 40 nights, and in Exodus 25 through 31, those passages we just talked about last time, the instructions of the tabernacle and the tent and building it. In fact, we even showed a diagram of it last week. Saw all of that. Now watch what happened. Go to Exodus 32, look at verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened of him, what has become of him. When the people saw that Moses delayed and he didn't come back, I mean, you know what I think? I think they thought he would go up there, be gone two or three days and come back. And one day, two days, three days, five days, ten days, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty. He hasn't come back. And what is their response? What, what are they thinking? Where is he? Is he dead? What are we going to do? He's been our leader. What are we going to do? So they came to Aaron. Aaron is Moses' brother, and Aaron is, is, is also one of the leaders. In fact, one of the main leaders. And, and they say, make a God for us. Make a God who will go before us. We don't know what happened to Moses. Notice how quickly they discount Moses. I mean, think about Moses. Moses has been, he's been huffing and puffing for a while, right? He's been doing pretty good. He's an 80 year old man. I thought he's, I thought he's handling pretty well. And, uh, who has really been the leader, by the way? God's been the leader. God's been the pillar of fire, uh, you know, cloud in the day and fire by night and, and they've been following God. Now, two things. 
They lost their leader, and they want to make a god an idol. Now, if you're Aaron, and if you haven't read this, and you know Moses and Aaron, when the people come to Aaron and say, let's make a god, make a god for us so that we can, you know, we, we really need to go back to Egypt, I think. Come make a god for us who will go before us, for this, who brought us up from Egypt. We don't know what to do. You would think that Aaron would say, whoa, 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 whoa. Moses is up there. He'll be back. We just have to rest. We just have to rest. But Aaron doesn't do that. Notice, Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. Where'd they get all the gold? From Egypt. Remember when they left Egypt? They, they plundered the people. God told them to ask for the gold. Now, what were they supposed to do with this gold? Use it where? Do what? To make the tabernacle and the temple. That's what that all that was for. They use it to make what? A golden calf. Wow. So he's going to make a god out of gold. He said, give me your gold. Give me your gold. And so look what they did. Verse 3. Then all the people rose up, and they tore off the gold rings which were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. I love verse 4. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. wonder why a cow. And they said, watch, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. They made a golden calf and then they said, this is our God. This is your God. This is the God who brought you out of Egypt. God is a bull. God is a cow. That's what they're saying. You remember every time God's appeared to them, he didn't give them any kind of what? Form, because if they saw a form, they'd most likely make some shape of it and try to worship that. So he says, listen, you can't see me. And so what do they do? Since they haven't seen him, they make a cow. This is your God, O Israel, which, which, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Aaron makes an idol. The people quickly turn from the living God who has delivered them from Egypt, who has provided them and protected them all the way through. And they turn. Let me tell you what we realize. We realize how easy we can fall. First Corinthians ten twelve. Take heed lest you think you stand. You what? You fall. We're cap- we're all capable of any sin. If you say there's not a sin you would do, you you open the door to possibly doing it. You have to protect yourself. You have to say I I, I know I'm capable of any sin. Capable of anything. You say I wouldn't commit adultery. I wouldn't steal. I wouldn't lie. You put us in the wrong place at the wrong time. We are capable of doing the wrong thing. We see things all the time about people who got caught doing things. And we say, that person, we they would never, how would they do something like that? we got to guard our hearts. This is your God. Watch what happened, verse 5. Now, Aaron saw, when, now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. They're going to have a party. They're going to worship the golden calf. They're going to have a celebration as they worship their new God, so to speak. Actually, it's not a new God. It's the God that brought them. This is the God from Egypt. This is the God that has taken care of them. They just now see him as a cow. Okay? Watch. So the next day they rose up early and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up 
to play. They offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. This is the same thing they had done to God. They had offered offerings to God. The people, look at this, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. The word for play there is a sexual idea. It, it seems to indicate there was sexual involvement here. Some people say they were having an orgy. This was a big deal for them. Hey, we're going to do something. It is so easy to turn away from truth. It is so easy to disobey. Take heed lest you think you stand. You've got to protect yourself and ourselves. Now watch. Meanwhile, up on top of the mountain, verse 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Go down at once. For Now watch. For your people, <laughs> he didn't say his people. Moses, your people are messing up again. You know, go down at one. God is so, let me tell you something. God's funny in this. Watch what he does. I mean, he's trying to, actually he's testing Moses to see what Moses is going to do. He, he says, God said, go down at once for your people whom you brought up. Wait a minute, I thought God was the one that brought them up. I thought they're God's people. But God says, no, Moses, they're your people. You're the one that brought them up from the land of Egypt. They have corrupted themselves. Your people have corrupted themselves. Look at that. I mean, that's amazing. And we go, what? They're sinning. They're doing wrong. Notice your people, which you brought. The truth is this. No matter how nice we try to look, we're still bad. These people have been redeemed and protected, and yet they still turn away. They have quickly turned aside from the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. They're saying that the calf is God. So watch. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are obstinate people. Yeah, they are. What about us? How many times have you done the same sin? How many times have you gone to God and said, I'm not going to do this one ever again, I promise you. If you will just, if you, I I promise I will never do this again. And you know what God says? Right. I know you. I know you're just dust. I know you. God says, these are obstinate people. Now watch verse 10. By the way, obstinate means hard-headed. Watch what he says. Now let me alone that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. Now, look at this. He says, I will destroy them and make make you a great nation. Anything wrong with that? What if God said to Moses, okay, that's it, that's it. You stay here. I'm going to wipe them all out. I'm going to start over with you. Why do I say that God is testing Moses? What is God's promises? That the Messiah will come through the tribe of Judah. Moses is from the tribe of Levi. If he destroys them all, and there's only Moses left, there is no place for a Messiah to come based on the promises of God. God's not, God's not going to destroy those people. God is testing Moses. See, the Messiah and the Savior is going to come through the tribe of Judah. Moses from the tribe of Levi. God is testing Moses to see if Moses says, yeah, yeah, kill them all, kill them all. Yeah, I'm rid- I'm sick of them myself. I'll be honest with you, I'm sick of them because I've been with them all this time. And every time you turn around, they gripe about everything. You might as well destroy them and start over. But that's not what Moses does. God cannot do what he just said. Because it's already against his promises. He's testing Moses. 
And what does Moses say? And I want you to see his intercession. It is amazing. Verse 11. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? He's basically saying, God, why are you going to do this? Why are you going to destroy your people? You have redeemed him, you saved him, you delivered him, you provided him, you protected him. Why would you destroy them? Look at verse 12. Why should the Egyptians speak saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. He says, listen, the Egyptians, if you kill all the people now, and I'm the only one left, the Egyptians will say that God only brought these people out of Egypt to destroy them. That they were just wicked people and God wanted to destroy them. Turn from your burning anger. Change your mind about doing harm to your people. Now, Moses is saying, you need to change your mind. God is saying, I'm testing you to see what you're going to say. Now, let me ask you something. He's testing Moses. What was God's promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to Judah? That from Abraham would come the Messiah. From Isaac would come the Messiah. From Jacob would come the Messiah. From Jacob through Judah would come the Messiah. That's the promise. Does Moses know the promise? Look what he says. Verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself. And you said to them, I will multiply to your descendants the stars of the heavens and all this land of which I have spoken. I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. He said, you've got to remember the promises that you made. You promised. You swore. You promised. If they're destroyed, the promises can't be fulfilled. Why couldn't God just start over with Moses? Why couldn't he just start over with Moses? What's the promise? It's right. He can't start over with Moses. Can't do it. Moses is the intercessor. We think of an intercessor. We think of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He interceded for us. He came and took our place. Wages of sin is death. We're supposed to die. Jesus Christ came and took our place and died in our place. And then on a day-to-day basis as we sin, he says, My little children, I don't want you to sin, but if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is our advocate. He is our sacrificial payment. He is our intercessor and our mediator. It's powerful. Look at verse 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now, that's a human way of saying that it's called an anthropomorphism, which gives human terms to God. Did God change his mind? Did God know what he was going to do? Was the whole thing a test, really? Because God can't go against his promises. We already know his character. And so in this, the writer, Moses, writes this as if, well, God said, oh, okay, okay, I won't do it. And then God was testing Moses. Now, we have seen... The sin and the failure. And we've seen Moses' intercession. Watch what happens. Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two. Now watch. I want you to read this carefully. Do you picture Moses coming down from the mountain like Charlton Heston with these big tablets, right? Is that what you picture? Read the verse. Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. It didn't say hands. It's in his hand. 
That means the two tablets, whatever they were, he could hold them in his what? Hand. Now, some people have speculated that they were round like plates, and they had the commandments written on them circulated on both sides, and he was holding them in his hand as he came down. We don't know. It just says he had the two tablets of testimony in his hand, which were written on both sides, for they were written on one side and on the other side. So he's coming down. He'll be coming down the mountain when he comes. Right? Now, meanwhile, oh, by the way, he just says this. The tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. Can you imagine holding in your hand something on which God actually wrote? I can't even imagine that. Now, do you have God's word? You do. You have it written right here. You have the written revelation of God. And that came through. It's, it, it, it's, it's inspired, which means it was God-breathed. It came through people. God used human beings to write it down and then all the copies and everything that we have. And so we have it. You don't have the, the original words, but you have the written revelation of God. It's so amazing. So watch what happens. Now, when Joshua, Joshua's been, he, he probably meets Moses as he gets down at the base there. When Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a sound of war in the camp. Sounds like there's a fight going on. But he said, it's not the sound of the cry of triumph. It is not the sound of the cry of defeat. But the sound of singing I hear. What are they doing? They're having a party. Now, this is an incredible passage right here. Watch. It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and he saw the dancing and and, and Moses' anger burned. And he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. I don't know if I'd have done that. Right? I don't know. I mean, if God just wrote on this and gave this to you, I'm not so sure I'm going to throw them down and break them. Now, why did he throw them down and break them? Because the people had already broken them. They already broke them. Already broken every one of them. He threw down the tablets. He broke the tablets. Why? Because the people had already broken them. They've already broken all the commandments on there. Now, I'm assuming that Moses probably felt like, maybe God will fix me two more of these. I mean, I'm whole, I don't know what he's thinking. Notice what it does say. Moses... Anger burned. What do you think about Moses? I mean, we already saw what Moses did later on, right? After he had had struck the rock and the water came out, then it was later on that God told him to speak to the rock. And this is even past this. And God said, speak the rock. And Moses stood up in front of the people. And what happened? His anger burned. He got so mad, he was supposed to speak to the rock. He hit the rock. Nothing came out. He hit it again. Water came out. And what did God say to him? Because you disobeyed me in front of everyone, you will not go into the land. You'd say, well, he just hit a rock twice. What's so bad about that? That's open disobedience and the anger. What happened here? As soon as he got to the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned. And he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. You can't blame him. Look what he did. He took the calf which they had made and burned it with fire. Whoa, he burned up the golden calf. And ground it into powder, scattered it over the surface of the water, and made the sons of Israel drink it. 
Here, drink it. Drink it. I don't want to drink. Drink it. You're going to drink that stuff. You're going to worship it. You're going to drink it. Wow. He's showing them the powerlessness of an idol. It's nothing. He took the idol and chewed it up. Put it into water and made them drink it. Now, this is my favorite part. Because he goes to Aaron. Moses said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Who is Moses blaming? He's blaming Aaron. He said, what did these people do to you that you did this? What did people do? You know, when we're confronted, have, have you ever done wrong and then you're confronted? And what, what do you do? Well, we start making every excuse that we can to say, well, I don't think, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know anything about that. Well, I didn't do that. I mean, I, well, I couldn't help that. It wasn't, part, wasn't part of me. Look what he does. He blames others and he lies. The next time you're confronted with something, figure out what your natural reaction is. To blame somebody else and to lie about it. That's our natural reaction. Look at verse 22. Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself that they're prone to evil. He says, you know these people, they're always messing up. They're always messing up. They're prone to evil. First of all, he's going to blame the people. He blames the people. Now watch the second thing. Which is just amazing. He said, for they said to me, make a God for us who will go before us for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt. We don't know what has happened to him. We don't know what became of him. I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire. And you know what? And out came this calf. I took the gold and I just threw it in the fire and a golden calf popped out. He's lying. He's lying. What do you think? You think that happened? Didn't it say earlier that he fashioned it? So what does he say to Moses? Uh, I just threw the gold in the fire and it popped out as a calf. This calf came out. He says, I threw it in the fire and this came out. You can almost see Moses, if he wasn't so mad, he would probably have laughed. He said, you're right. I mean, tell me the truth. We lie, we blame others. When we are challenged, we do that. Now, very quickly, I want you to see what happened. Moses saw that the people were out of control. For Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies. Moses stood in the gate of the camp, and look, this is powerful. Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And the sons of Levi gathered together. That's his tribe. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from the gate to the gate in the camp. Kill every man and his brother and this man and his friend and every man his neighbor. You go through there and you kill these people who are who are doing what? What are they doing? They're having an orgy. He says, you go kill them. See, your, your impression and our impression is that every Jewish person is at the party. They are not at the party. Watch what he says. Go kill them. So the sons of Levi did his Moses instruction. And how many did they kill? About 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Killed about 3,000 people who were involved in this false worship. Moses said, dedicate yourselves today to the Lord, for every man has been against his brother, against his son and against his brother, and know that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. He says, God's going to bless you for standing strong. Does it seem to you a little harsh that you go through there and kill those people? Do you remember, and we'll we'll see it somewhere down the road, not too far. Do you remember when they sent the spies into the land? How I many they send in? Twelve spies, one for each of the tribes. And they came back and, and how many said, let's go? Two. 
Joshua and Caleb. How many settlers don't go? Ten. What happened to those ten people? They killed them. They killed them, by the way. Did you know that? Go read the passage. There was a guy that was picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. And they saw him and they said, you know, he's not supposed, he's not supposed to pick up sticks, right? No, he's not. So they went and got him. And they didn't have any place to put him because they don't have jails. See, when you did something wrong in Israel, if it was a capital offense, they killed you. If it wasn't a capital offense, you paid your penalty and you left. You weren't put in jail. They didn't have jails. So they didn't know what to do with this guy, so they put him in a holding place. And they said, Moses talked to God. And God said, what do you say do? Kill, kill him. We say, well, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Well, sin doesn't really mean anything. It, it's just, it's not that big a deal, right? To God, it's a pretty big deal, isn't it? And when we have his word, we need to obey it. And when we see this, they kill 3,000 people because they openly rebelled against God. On the next day, Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I'm going to go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Perhaps I can cover over what's happened. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have committed great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But, but now if you will forgive their sin, if not blot me out from your book, what you've written. He said, I would rather you discipline me. I'd rather you, 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 you get me than to blot them out. And, and, and what does God say? The Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I'll blot out. I'm going to discipline him. I'm going to take care of him. But, and look at the next part. But go now. Lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Now, what is God's grace? What's his grace? He's going to go with them. He's going to send the angel. He's going to say, go, and I'm going to be there with you. Take my angel. My angel will be with you. This is the grace of God. But there's going to be what? There's consequences. There's always consequences. Be not deceived. God does not mock whatever a man sows. That shall he also reap. There are consequences for sin. So he says, nevertheless, in that day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. So the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. You see the grace of God by being with them, but you see the discipline of God by dealing with their sin. Now, there's a truth that there are always consequences to sin. Always. And when we sin, God's never mocked. We sow of the flesh, we reap of the flesh corruption. And it's going to always be that way. And so when we live our lives, and whether it's a little sin or a big sin... There are always consequences. Now, let me just say something that we should always do. When you sin, always confess it to be in fellowship because it's better to be disciplined by God when you're in fellowship than to be disciplined by God when you're out of fellowship. The Corinthians were out of fellowship when they were doing the Lord's Supper and they were disciplined by God and some of them died. The Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. Applications, let's think about it. Realize that we are capable of any sin. We're fallen. Lee Strobel said this. We all have the terminal illness called sin. We do. We all have it. Everyone in this room. Every one of us in this room. Must guard our hearts. Must guard what we bring into our lives. Guard what we bring into our minds. 
guard what we bring into anything of our lives because we are capable of any sin. And if you somehow don't believe that, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And realize that we're capable of any sin and just realize that when we sin, don't blame others and don't lie. Just say, I did it. When you go to God, say, I did it. I blew it. I've done it again and again. I'm sorry. I've done it again. Number two, thank God for our intercessor, Jesus Christ. We owed God death and Jesus Christ took our place. He died and rose again for us as our advocate. He is our advocate. He took our place. Hebrews 7.25, I don't know if that's on. There it is. Hebrews 7.25 says he lives forever to make intercession for us. So not only in the salvation aspect of it, but in the daily aspect of it, we have an intercessor. In Jesus Christ, we who are unrighteous receive by faith the gift of eternal life. We have an intercessor, and we just need to thank God every day. When you wake up in the morning, we ought to go, thank you, Lord, for another day, and thank you for Jesus. Number three, there are times to confront. Now, I don't, I don't like confrontation. I mean, anybody in this room like confrontation? There's a few of you that do. There are. There are a few people that like it. They'll just sort of go right up to you and tell you how you're wrong. They love it. But most of us don't like confrontation, but there's times to confront, and there are times you have to deal with those things. Sin damages the body. As they said, sin causes the, jump of joy, the cup of joy to spring a leak. And sometimes we have to go to people and say, this is wrong. Sometimes they have to come to us and say, this is wrong. There are times to confront. God deals with us in grace and discipline. The grace, he says, I will send my angel, I will go. The discipline, I will punish you. God deals with us in grace and discipline. It is the grace of God that when we sin, we are not destroyed. Right? Could he? Could he be just as fair? Could he be just as just that every time you sin, he kills you when you sinned? Right? He could. But he's a gracious God. He allows us to live. He allows us to serve him. He allows us to use the gift. Thank God for his grace and discipline in our lives as we grow to be more and more like him. Great truths. May we realize that we're capable of any sin. Thank God for our intercessor, Jesus Christ, knowing that God deals with us in grace and discipline as we seek to grow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Lord, it's, it's a hard passage. There's so much there. And we thank you, Lord, that we realize that we're capable of anything. In fact, I hate reading this, Lord, because it just makes me realize how bad I am. And Lord, we all look at that and realize that we're, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and that we're rebellious and there's none righteous, no, not one. And so, Lord, thank you that we have to realize where we are and guard our hearts. Thank you for Jesus as our intercessor, not only as intercessor for salvation, that he came and took our place, but he is the one who lives forever to make intercession for us daily, and he takes care of us there. Lord, we realize there are times to confront as Moses confronted Aaron. And Lord, may we be ready to, to do what's right and do it in the right way and to do it in love. And then Lord, thank you that you deal with us in grace and discipline. You're a great God. We love you so much. Thank you for your grace to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Any questions, comments, anything we got? About a minute. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. Well, I, I, right. I don't, uh, well, first of all, we won't see anything there, but, but Aaron is not going to be able to go into the land either. 
and uh, and Aaron doesn't is not a great leader. I mean, there's going to be discipline for Moses and I mean Aaron and uh, Miriam are going to uh, going to cause problems later on too. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe when maybe let me just say this: when this orgy was going on, Aaron may not have been part of that. He made the calf. He put it out there, and they had the worship. You might say, who knows? He may have. You okay? Okay, yeah. All right. uh, thank you, man. I, I, I think that it's possible that he wasn't involved in that. And those Levites took the swords and they killed the people who were involved in that. So maybe Aaron, Aaron wasn't involved in that. Yes. Change of mind. Uh huh. Right. It's a different Hebrew word. Uh, and I had to look it up. I didn't look it up. I don't know whether it's shub, which means to return or to turn back, or whether it's another word. I, I could look it up for you. I didn't look it up tonight, to be honest. I didn't have time to look it up. <laughs> but that, that it's, there is a Hebrew word which means to return. There's another Hebrew word which has an idea of a, of a different thought. I don't know which one that is. Yes. Oh yeah, uh, it's unbelievable. It, he, in the northern kingdom, when he make when he get when they divide in the northern kingdom, and he so he is so worried. You remember that Jeroboam is so worried that when the division comes, that his people will go to Jerusalem and worship at the temple, that he makes a false temple and builds two what two golden calves up there. So that people will worship there, so they don't have to go to Jerusalem and leave his kingdom. He's so worried about that. And so he builds a false worship system in the northern kingdom. And it, I mean, the, the whole northern kingdom is always corrupt. It is amazing that they do the same thing. Yeah. Is this We think it's prompt, there's a tent. Moses had a tent that he would meet with God, and Joshua stayed at the tent most of the time. The best we can understand is that they haven't built a tabernacle yet, see? So once they build the tabernacle, that will be above the tabernacle and it'll move and it'll tell them where to go. Up to this point, the best, the best that we can tell them, we're not sure, is whether it's just something out in front of them or whether it's near Moses' tent in which it said that Moses would go and meet with God at the tent. So my only, only thing I can figure is maybe the, t- I don't know if y'all could hear the, qu- did y'all hear the question? Can you, they can't even hear me. They can't hear the question. They can, did y'all hear the question that she asked? Where was the, where was the pillar of fire in the cloud? And I think it's at Moses' tent. Moses has a tent, and I think that's where it is. The tabernacle has not been built yet. So the, God leads them during the day by the cloud and the fire by night. And we don't know whether it's just going before them or whether it's over at Moses' tent because there is a place where Moses goes and Joshua goes with him and meets with the Lord. So does that help at all? That's all I can, that we don't really know. It's not, I don't think it's real clear. Well, she said, uh, yeah, he was saying that when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered him there. There's no doubt that when God made his appearance known at Mount Sinai, you remember what it was? It was a big cloud. It was the, the loud trumpet. It was the noise. It was all of that. And when Moses is supposed to go up there, he disappears up in the cloud, up in that cloud. Now, whether that's the same cloud, I'm not sure it is. But it, at least Moses has disappeared from, from view when he was up there. They don't know where he is. 
Yes. I don't know because um, these people, the best we can tell, they are the same people who did the Passover lamb. See, they haven't been out of Egypt for how long? About four months, four to five months at the most. So it's not like years have passed and there's generations have come up. So I'm thinking that these are redeemed people because they believed and came out of Egypt. So I, I, I would, I, I looked at that and I'm trying to think what, what, what's he blotting them out of? And I, it may be something to do with their blessings and rewards. I don't know. I don't think it's blotting them out of the book of life because they're redeemed people. Unless there's somebody, and I can't picture this, that, that was already out of Egypt and joined with them somehow. And I just can't picture that because it hasn't been, it hasn't been even near a year yet. Since they came out. If you remember back, we, we saw a few chapters back over there that it had been three months since we, they came out. So it hasn't been very long. Yeah, I think it's interesting that almost a forgotten character in that whole story is Joshua, who goes partly up on the mountain with Moses. Uh-huh. And for 40 days, he's all by himself. Uh-huh. At least the people are down there. Right. Uh-uh. Right. He is, he's probably the most faithful man you're going to find because he's the one that God picks to take the people into the land. And it says that when Moses would go to his tent to see God and then Moses would leave, Joshua stayed all the time at the tent. Joshua seems to be a really godly man, a man of prayer, a man of faith. And so he's going to be the one. Now the name Joshua is Yahshua, which is the same name as Jesus. It, what was his name? His name was Hoshea, and God changed his name. Hoshea, the son of Nun, and he changed his name to Joshua, which means Savior, because he's going to be the one to take them into the land. That's a great point. Well, I guess time is up, okay? Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for our time. Most of all, thank you for Jesus, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.